Welcome to the Gutsy Ladies podcast. I'm your host, Bella Reynolds, and I'm a life coach on a mission to support midlife women to live their next chapters with ease, with clarity, and with confidence, to become a gutsy lady. A gutsy lady doesn't fade or shy away, and she doesn't use midlife as an excuse to live a life less fulfilled. She thinks, if not now, when? Until now, the story of midlife hasn't supported this vision for our lives, and it's time to talk about it. In this podcast, I share insights from my personal experience, as well as thoughts and lessons from thousands of hours of coaching. If you want to live your best life and are ready to do the work, then you are in the right place. Let's get started. Well, 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 this is a really cool topic and I'm excited to be sharing it with you. And thanks for choosing to even listen to the beginning of it to see whether this is a topic that you want to know more about. And it's, um, as the title said, this episode is about um, basically stopping telling yourself that feeling stuck in midlife, not really knowing how you want to move forward and everything that goes with that stop telling yourself that it's a first world problem. And um, there's, I'm going to, I'm really going to talk about what that all means, a first world problem. And, And this episode's, I'm also going to share why saying stuff like that to yourself, saying that statement to yourself will actually, in fact, keep you stuck. And I'm going to give you three reasons why I think that's the case. And also at the end, I'm going to share, there are three things that you could start to do from today that will actually help you to um, move beyond seeing it's a bit first world problem, but help you to start playing bigger in your life. Because this is what, um, you know, basically the statement of, um, oh, look, you know, I don't know what I really want out of midlife and I'm really so lucky. I've got this, this and this. And, And so therefore, you know, the fact that I don't really know how I make my life better it's just a first world problem. So I really should just, you know, there's part of me wants to say a really big expletive here, harden up and get on with it. And what I believe the statement, um, this is just a first world problem. And I say this periodically is when I make that statement, what I'm actually doing, in my opinion, is I'm diminishing what's bothering me. I'm I'm basically making a um, cute excuse. Well, you know, it's just a first world problem, and so I actually push what's bothering me to the side. And look, if it's something as simple as what color toenails I want to wear, or um, you know, what color lipstick, or you know, something that is you know something that you could do without versus something as massive as wanting to make these next years in the middle of midlife and right till your last day on this planet, making that the most fantastic time of your life, that's huge and it should not be diminished. I've said the word should. I should have a swear jar, shouldn't I? Ah, oh, there's three of them. Um, it. I believe that diminishing your desires in midlife and beyond is is just incredibly sad because the world needs midlife women who have got to this stage in their life 
and they want to capitalize on everything and go forth and contribute and inspire across um, their personal life and professionally. The world really needs that. The world needs humans that are fulfilled and happy and satisfied and sharing their talents because Lord knows we've got so many problems out there. We need humans that are engaged and committed to finding solutions and and that's part of working out what your plan is moving forward. So it's really interesting because when I um, was reviewing this, you know, from what my content would be in this, I it, when I heard myself say out loud, oh, yes, but it's just a first world problem, it took me back to those days sitting around the dinner table when I was growing up. And um, I do need my mama cat to start listening to these podcasts because you'll get referred quite a bit. But, you know, when you'd have food left on your plate and it would be, you know, you'd be chasing it around the plate with your knife and fork, hoping that you could wait it out long enough that mum and dad left the table and you could just walk away having not eaten everything. And it reminds me of that statement that was said definitely more than once. Um, (laughs) What about all those starving kids in Africa? And there's no relation. Okay, and that's what I'm trying to say about this statement about, um, oh, it's, you know, not knowing what I want to do in my midlife and beyond is just a first world problem. Not eating all my food on my plate in um, Queensland in Australia in the 70s had no relationship to those children in Africa who were starving. There's no correlation. So stop it, basically. That's what I'm really wanting you to get the basic gist of this and if you find yourself making a statement like oh I don't know what I really want and what a first world problem it is I want you to recognize it for what I believe it is and that is diminishing yourself that is diminishing what's bothering you and it's it's a habit that we can get into that when things are just getting too hard for us to solve, we'll find an excuse, push it to the side and go further in our day and keep distracting ourselves rather than dealing with the elephant in the room. So I'm going to just share three reasons that I think when you make a statement like that can keep you fully stuck. Because I think when you realize even more context around why you're doing it and also what the implications are, then it can give you more insights as to whether you want to change and and not do this. Um, The first one is that being a midlife woman in the world today and having the capacity to even be able to listen to a podcast means that you have a level of abundance and... um, world you know your world is is good enough for want of a better term I'm a little bit tongue-tied at this point it is a first world problem and that is something to rejoice you are living in the first world and if this is something that is um impacting you then it is because you're in the first world you've gone beyond a human who has to just get your basic needs met Um, a human that is trying to find a roof over their head, trying to feed themselves. You know, when we look at um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, when you are grappling with um, choices around um, 
purpose and living your best life, you're at the top, you know, this is all about self-actualization. And, you know, that is a gift that we have for living in the first world. And, you know, when I, you know, realize that, but also when my clients realize that, yes, how lucky are we, it is a point of rejoice. So when you say that statement and stick to that statement, you are staying stuck because it is a non-acceptance of reality. Your reality right now, I would suspect, and, you know, without knowing every single um, uh, psychographic or demographic of everyone that's listening, but as I said, to be able to listen through our technology to listen to a podcast, your reality is first world. So don't feel guilty for it. Don't diminish it. Accept it and rejoice. And I'm going to share in the third bit why that is so powerful. When we start to rejoice and, you know, basically deshackle ourselves from the guilt around living in this first world and hugely abundant world that we live in, if we take advantage of it, it, it it's a total game changer. So it's about reframing that. Without reframing it, without seeing it as first world and the reality of it, without accepting the reality of it, then you're going to stay stuck. The second thing is that diminishing yourself does not serve you. It may have served you as you grew up. You may have got your needs met um, over the last couple of decades or you know numbers of decades by diminishing your needs. But as an adult and particularly as a midlife woman who has got work to do, to be able to realize your potential and grab what is available to you in these, you know, coming chapters, diminishing yourself ain't going to serve it, okay? And it will keep you, I say, small as well as stuck. So keeping you stuck is very related, in my opinion, to staying small. And I'm someone who knows what that feels like. Um, it it has taken me, it did, it took me, you know, decades to recognize exactly what it was that I loved doing. And the day when I actually made the conscious decision to openly say I was going to do my training as a life coach, oh my God, there was so much crap that I had to um, remove because I had diminished myself. I was playing so small, but behind fringes of being a health coach or um, what I would see as more acceptable coaching, which is really crazy. Anyway, there's another episode all about life coaching that might be worth you listening to if that has resonated. But when we diminish ourselves, it it is a habit. And um, again, it's a habit based on like all our other habits about getting our needs met. And it reminds me of my absolute favorite quote. And the first time I heard this quote, I'm going to share it with you. The first time I heard this quote was at Nelson Mandela's inauguration and um, Nelson Mandela's life. And he was by no means a saint, but the way with which he um, carried himself, particularly in the last three, four decades of his life, were very inspirational to me. So when he was at his inauguration, I was quite captivated and I heard this quote And I actually thought he created the quote, but it wasn't. It's a woman called Marianne Williamson. And if you're not familiar with her work, I would love you to, you know, check her out. She's, uh, yeah, an absolutely soul human um, who knows what she's on the planet for. Um, Definitely a gutsy lady. (laughs) 
And this is the quote that I um, think of whenever I think about someone, well, particularly midlife women who've gotten the habit of diminishing their needs and playing small. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, and fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. We are born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us. It's in everyone. And as we let our light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. And if choosing to not diminish your needs is something that's foreign for you, think about that last line. And I know this to be so true and so true of all my clients. When they step into their light, when they start playing bigger, and when I say bigger, that doesn't mean they're on the world stage and going and doing massive things necessarily. When they stay, when they start to play big, as in big of their full potentiality, the thing that is beautiful is that the humans around them, they may be in their family or in their friend circle or their colleagues, they are inspired by the woman in front of them who is playing big and not diminishing herself any longer. So if that has resonated with you, um, please see that when you diminish yourself and say that this is just a first world problem. You're not just disserving yourself. It's also others around you who need you to shine. Look, the other, the third reason that I see that you can stay stuck with that first world statement is that diminishing ourselves actually keeps us feeling stuck and that keeps us in negative emotional territory. And that negative emotional space has its own biochemical cocktail and it will take you down. It will continue to keep you in that change U-turn. The flip side of it, when you start to rejoice that, yep, wow, I am in the first world and this is not a problem, this is an opportunity and the fact that I'm feeling stuck is temporary and I can move through this and I don't need to feel guilty that I am in the first world and I can take advantage of anything that's available to me. I may need to just take some time out to reflect on what I really want and set up a really simple plan with baby steps to move forward. When you flip it and start to rejoice and have that absolute gratitude that this is so exciting and this is something that you want to move forward on, it has got the most beautiful biochemical cocktail for your brain and mind, and that is dopamine and serotonin. And those um, neurotransmitters are our absolute inbuilt feel-good chemicals. And so when we, and this is why gratitude is such a beautiful practice to bring into your life, because when we think with the gratitude and we think with more expansion, more abundance, more limitless, 
you know, we allow ourselves to open up to what is possible because we are excited that we are in the first world and we get to do really cool stuff if we choose it, then it just, it literally changes everything. And when I talk about our biology, this is how we can befriend our biology and get those natural occurring feel-good neurotransmitters into our system. It will enhance your mood almost immediately. When you get those pumping through there, your mood will improve and you'll feel good from the inside out. And those who know me know that a, a gutsy lady is someone who's worked out how to befriend their biology to work from the inside out. So they're the, you know, the three key reasons that I see that if you stick with your statement of, oh, you know, trying to grapple with what I want in midlife is just a first world problem and halting, they're three reasons that I reckon you can feel stuck. So what about if this has resonated with you? What about if you're thinking, okay, righto, I'm up for this, Bella. I think I'm going to change and reframe how I think about this. I want to give you three things that you could start to do from today. Of course, they're three little things because I'm all about baby steps because that's all about sustainable change. These are three steps that you could start from today and you will start to play bigger almost instantly. And they are not going to be what you think they are. Maybe one or two of them are, but one of them you are going to be surprised with. And I'm going to go with it first. So the first step that is something that I want you to consider and will absolutely expand your thinking and choices is to literally go and do something different from today. Something different with how you drive to and from work, something different how you dress, something different how you eat or don't eat, something different about where you go and shop for your groceries, something different about you might normally read fiction books, but you'll start picking up a non-fiction book. Um, we are such creatures of habit and our neural pathways reflect that. If you want to think differently, one of the beautiful cheats that you can do is to go and do something different. One of the most um, powerful ones I've found is to actually go shopping in a different shopping centre or a sh gro different groceries. So if you normally go to Woolies at your certain local hub, then go to the Coles or the Audi on another side of town. And I have done that and I continue to do that. And it, it is really jolting for your brain. I'm not going to say if, if you're looking to conserve energy, it's not the right path. But if you're wanting to do a mind-brain hack that will, and this is definitely brain because it will play around with new neural pathways, it will it will honestly open up to more expansionary thinking. You will you will expand the pathways that are going on up in your brain. Now, when you expand those pathways, your choices expand too. So that is your first step. And another really simple one, this is always a bit cute to do is um, even just changing which leg you put your underwear on through. So if you always put your left leg into the first hole, <laughs> only two holes, I hope, um, you put your left, then I'm going to get you to challenge yourself and go with your right and do it for a month. Why do I say do it for a month? Because I want you to do it longer for a than a couple of days. Um, there's no science in the month piece. Um, it takes between um, I think it's on average 66 days to create a new habit. So I love you doing it for more than a month. Just the benefit of switching up 
how which leg you put in your underwear is is enough to start another neural pathway. Um, if you're a right-handed writer of everything, use your left hand for a while. Um, if you always do something a certain way in your kitchen, do it the opposite way. Or if you always enter your home in a certain way, go a different way. Um, if you run a certain way, I think you're getting the picture here. Go and do something different. And this is a hack. This is a really simple shortcut which will expand your thinking. And you don't have to consciously, other than the choice you're going to make, you don't have to consciously go, oh, am I changing? Am I changing? Am I changing? Because it's got nothing to do with that. You will be. You'll have a new neural pathway there. Second thing, second step, and this is all about modelling behaviour. There's nothing new with this. But I want you to think about someone who you love because they play big. Now, that doesn't necessarily, when I say playing big, I'm just going to reiterate, this does not necessarily mean that they are uber, uber, uber successful. They may be, and if that's who you choose, that's fine. But if that's not your um, real desire to model someone on that stage, I want you to think about someone you admire. It could be in your workplace. It could be in your community. It could be in your family. It could be your children. It could be your parents. It could be someone that came through your ancestral line. I don't care who it is, but I want you to consider who plays big that you admire and respect, and then I want you to make it your job to read about them. If you can, talk to them. I want you to get insights to how they've learnt to play big, why they play big, how they play big. I want you to get really familiar with their story of playing big. And the reason this is so powerful is because, once again, this is a hack for your brain and your mind. The reason it can be really hard to step into your light or start to play big, particularly if being used to playing small, is that it's incredibly unfamiliar for your brain. It doesn't have the neural pathway there. And also it can bring up your um, fear response, so fight and flight. So we want to befriend our biology and find little sneaky ways to get around it. Now, when you find stories and can really start to live vicariously through someone playing big, your mind and brain adjusts to those stories. So they may not be your story, but guess what? Our imagination is a beautiful part to our biology and it, and with our expansionary thinking that we've got with our do something differently and then you start to plant this in your mind's eye of someone else's story, you start to mesh it all together and you will start to think of ways to play bigger virtually because you've spent that time in that other person's space and their story. So immersing yourself in them can help you to find ways to play big for yourself. Now, the third one, this is probably a little bit predictable, but I'm giving it in so many different ways. And the reason I'm doing it is because we all have different minds that, um, that you know, how we take on information and learn and absorb. So I want you to journal or create a vision board through Pinterest or draw it yourself or um, uh, journaling by writing it down um, or it might be get finding magazines and cutting them out kinesthetically and pasting them. But what I want you to do is to 
really dream big in the safety of your own space. So I want you, it sort of carries on from that story of the person you love who thinks big, but vision boards are so powerful because when we plant these images in our mind's eye, we can't really discern over a period of time whether it's our imagination or it's our memory. So again, that all gets enmeshed and entwined. And when we choose to look at this vision board that we've created, on that vision board, you've got B's and do's and experiences. I want all of them on there. When we repeatedly look at this every single day, it can be in front of your computer screen. It can be your screensaver. It can be your phone saver. It can be um, on your fridge. Um it can be, my children know that I, I did up these uh, big canvases that had um, the the trips that my husband and I were um, visualising for each step on our investment journey. When they are constantly in front of your mind's eye, then your belief that they are going to happen grows exponentially. And because your belief in them is growing exponentially, so this is down to how many exposures to this beautiful, big, hairy, audacious goal, um, whatever dream it is that you are wanting, it just becomes a reality. You, you move forward in it purely by um, the habit because, and you start talking about it. Of course, when you're sharing with other people the story, you know, I've told people next year, um, 2024, my husband and I are going to live for a period of time in Italy and I'm going to go and do this bike um, trip and all these things and go and see our daughter in London. You know, this is real. I'm going to make it happen. Do I know how it's going to happen particularly? No, but I can tell you because it's in my mind's eye and I can feel how good it's going to feel when we're over there, then it's going to happen. And that's what I think you'll also find when you chat with someone who's been living big. They've learnt this beautiful hack. Um, so vision boards have an enormous place in helping us to move forward and play big. And it, it gets to a point that the habit of fleshing out your vision board just becomes a beautiful habit in itself. So, and the last little thing with the vision board that I want you to sort of practice as well is as you start to fill it out, and this can be journaling. I've got a client who's the most beautiful artist and she can draw her future. Wow, what a, you know, what an absolute gift. It's not my gift. <laughs> so, but she can draw it and it's coming from her mind's eye. So, you know, the really cool piece to add to is once you've got practiced at getting the vision up there, I want you to know that as you embody it, as you dream about it, think about it, talk about it, and you feel it in your body, it um, ramps it up to even another notch. And these are strategies that, you know, high-level athletes, high-level business people have been playing with for forever. There's nothing new in anything that I share. It's just my take on um, what I've used to get my life where it is and and what I've used to help clients get their life into the most, you know, beautiful potential that they could ever have. So the three steps that you could start from today, number one is go and do something different and expand your thinking. Second step is to 
find out someone playing big that you admire and learn their story and start to live their story vicariously and increase your familiarity for your brain and your mind. And then third step is to journal, uh, vision board, just get in your mind's eye a pictorial of what it is playing big is for you, what it is when you be big, when you do big, and when you have big. Now, please know this is not necessarily all about flying private jets all around the world. Your big is your big. One of my bigs playing big is to be that beautiful (laughs) um, mermaid grandmother who is going to be that consented, contented soul that is able to nourish all my grandchildren when they come to see me living down by the sea. That's not a grand big stage with private jets. That means so much to me and that helps me to feel myself and it helps me when I need it to get really embrace my inner gutsiness which is what every gutsy lady, every midlife woman wanting to start Glide and live their full potential is really needing to do. Get in there and embrace your inner gutsiness and make that a habit. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Gutsy Ladies Podcast. Have you joined my free habit reinvention challenge? If not, why not? Go to bellareynolds.com.au forward slash habits. In seven days, you'll know how to make over your health, wealth, and relationships. Sounds good. See you there.